Good morning. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Sneaking this guy in on a beautiful Sunday, and I do mean beautiful, perfect Sunday morning. I just uh, walked back in the house after taking my dog out. Uh, No little guy this morning. Leo's actually uh, spent the night at his grandmother's last night, so I'm looking forward to going to pick him up. In fact, I'm going to hit a restaurant I've never gone to. I'm, I'm getting two things off of my Rochester bucket list this weekend. I am here now 16 years, right? And I've got a bunch of stuff I've never done, handful just little places I've never been. And one of them is a uh, restaurant in Fairport called Meg's, which is a breakfast joint. And um, when I first started dating Ryan, right, she would always tell me there's Ricky's and there's Meg's. And we've been to Ricky's a thousand times. Never been to Meg's. So today we're going to Meg's. So excited about that. Uh, in fact, leaving probably right after I get done recording this podcast and then picking the little guy up uh, leo stayed the night at his grandmother's house in fairport because ryan and i had a date night last night wedding last night which is when i want to start out. i'll tell you everything i'm going to talk about today because there's a lot of good stuff to talk about i want to talk about uh went to pittsburgh this week i want to talk about that city for a little bit um saint Anne celebrated 150th and i uh, just want to give a few actually you know we could get that out of the way real quick because that'll be fast Really quick, just shout out to St. Anne's Foundation. I'm a new foundation board member this year, and so it means a lot to me. Elderly care has always meant a lot to me. I mean, when I was in um, college, my college internship was actually at a nursing home. Uh, and all I did was I would go and I would spend time with folks who didn't have family or who weren't getting a lot of visitors. And uh, and so it's always had a special place in my heart. Obviously, I started the sauce business around my grandfather. Um, and it all had to do with him, you know, getting towards the end of his life. And, and now here I am all these years later and, you know, finding a way to serve the elderly by just joining that board. And, um, the 150th year this year, so it's kind of an all year celebration, but we had our big proclamation over the, uh, over this week. And, you know, Mayor Malik Evans and Monroe County Executive Adam Bello come out and read a whole big proclamation. And it was just a fantastic event. And I ended up winning, I say that in air quotes because I bid on winning a uh, golf foursome at Monroe Golf Club, uh, Monroe Golf Course, which I've never been to. Uh, It's one of the big, you know, everyone says the the best courses in town. There's Oak Hill, which kind of nobody's ever going to argue is number one, right? But then who's two, three, four, and five? You know, CCR. Arondacoit, Monroe, you know, people will throw those names in there as, as in, in varying orders for numbers two, three, and four. I've golfed Oak Hill more than I deserve to, right? I've golfed CCR more than I've deserved to. Same with Arondacoit. And uh, I had never been to Monroe. So again, back to the theme of the episode. Bucket list, baby. So a little donation to St. Anne's there, and now I'm going to go golf Monroe for the first time. Uh, what else this week? I went and spoke at LaBella Associates Leadership Conference this week. That was an honor, of course. Uh, don't know that I'm any good at being a leader, but I will tell you this. In the areas in which I suck at being a leader, I like talking about it. Well, let's get better together, right? So um, that was good. Nice little half-hour speech. People coming in from all over the country for that, and that was an honor to even be asked to carve out a little half-hour to talk about leadership and my little team and it is probably the most like haunting, just just haunting thing for me on a daily basis. Am I or am I not a good leader? And on a daily basis, man, oh man, if I tell you, I can't go back and forth on the answer to that, right? I have my moments where I'm like, look how great of a leader I was in that moment. And then I have these other moments where I'm cringing going, oh my God, 
I must have looked like such a rookie, right? And so it was fun to speak at the conference. Good stuff came out. Group discussion. It's my shtick, right? Learned that from Brother Wheeze back in the day. Curse. If you curse a little bit, kind of lets the tension go in the room. And then number two, uh, interactivity from the very beginning with any audience. No saving, no giving a speech and saving Q&A for the end. Uh-uh. We Q&A the whole way through, baby. So that was nice. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the journalist wars on Twitter going on uh, this weekend. Uh, Chase from 13 Wham versus Will Cleveland. So we'll, we'll close with that, baby. That's a lot of fun for me as well. Um, but, uh, but first let me talk about Pittsburgh and then let me get into this wedding we attended yesterday, this traditional Sikh wedding, which was just absolutely gorgeous. So amazing. But I'll get into that in a second. Earlier this week, I went to Pittsburgh for a quick night just to visit my aunt. I have an aunt and a cousin that live there and, uh, my mom and dad who live in Northeast Ohio is surprisingly close to Pittsburgh. I think they're like two hours from Pittsburgh in Northeast Ohio from here, from where I sit in Brighton right now. It's about four, four and a half hours. Um, it, not bad, really. I mean, when you think about how many cities you can get to for a quick little drive, because four, four and a half is long. It stinks, but uh, it's not that bad. You know, you, you blink and you're there when you when it's all said and done. I mean, you got Cleveland, Toronto, right? Pittsburgh. I mean, you know, you want to say Buffalo, of course, Syracuse, Albany. Uh, uh, you know, we could say you can drive to New York City in a day. I know that's longer than four hours, but but you get the idea. I mean, how many cities you can hit from here in one day's drive is really kind of remarkable. It feels like such a big country at times, and then other times you go, you know what? A half a day or just a little chunk of a day to get to all of these cities is really impressive. Kind of where we're located. I don't know. Anyway, Pittsburgh's cool. I like a couple things about Pittsburgh. It's very clean, very nice. Uh, one thing I don't like about it is kind of like in a, I don't know, in a valley or something. I don't know if that's technically correct from a geographical standpoint, but you know, you have to like go through these hills and mountains to like get to the downtown city. So what happens, (coughs) excuse me. So what happens is you're driving on these four lane or eight lane highways and they become, they all condense down to just two little lanes to get through a tunnel and then go over a bridge to get into the city. And if you don't know where you're going, you're screwed because you get through this tunnel. And the second you get through this tunnel, you need to know left, right, or straight, you know, because the exits happen like sort of right at the end of the tunnel. And what it does is it creates bottleneck traffic from like 6 a.m. to midnight every single day just because they have no choice but to condense the whole thing down to just these two lanes every single time they go anywhere. So, uh, it, that was the only thing I would have a beef with. Went to PNC Park, saw the uh, Guardians beat the Pirates. That was a lot of fun, too. Love being a fan of the away team. I guess as long as they win, right? But there's something kind of cool about being in a stadium and rooting for the away team. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me a jerk because it makes me, you know, I like being the bad guy maybe in that situation, but it is a lot of fun being there to support the away team. That is just a lot of fun. Um, what did I eat? I'm glad you asked. Went to a restaurant called Coupe de Ville, which is a somewhat newer restaurant in downtown Pittsburgh. Now, I will say this. My cousin was very excited to tell me about this place. Fried chicken restaurant. They've also brought in all these old arcade games and turned this thing into a big arcade, right? Video game uh, palace, if you will. Well, it was great. The chicken was fantastic, and the video game concept was very cool. 
But I didn't have the heart to tell her. My little city, Rochester, New York, did this with a burger joint years ago called Swill Burger. Right? I went to my bachelor party at Swill Burger. We had at least we had lunch at Swill Burger on my bachelor party. So like this concept of we're going to take some comfort food like fried chicken or burgers or something and put it in an old arcade, Rochester's all over that. You know what I'm saying? Sit down, Pittsburgh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Being a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan, I always have just a little bit of disdain for Pittsburgh, even though I have to admit it's a great city. Um, there was an opportunity to take a picture in front of uh, the old Heinz Field, which I think has like a new name starting this year, right? It's like Accu Insurance or something, Field. But anyway, the old Heinz Field, I had the opportunity to take a picture in front of, and I passed on the opportunity. Yeah. But so my, my uh, aunt was like, oh, you guys want to get a picture in front of the stadium? And literally I just went, not really. I kind of don't, you know? Like I, I'll pee on the stadium. I'll do – I'm just kidding. But no, but I really did. I just passed on getting a picture. I was like, I don't really need a picture in front of the Pittsburgh football stadium. I don't like this stadium. This is not a, this is not a place where I hold a lot of good memories. It doesn't make me feel good in my stomach to be here, you know? <laughs> um, and then for dinner, because I know you want to know what I ate, right? I'll tell you what I ate. Permanthe Brothers. Granted, I made one small mistake. I did eat Permanthe Brothers at the PNC Park, which is notorious for being sort of like not the best Permanthe Brothers to eat at. Um, if you don't know what Permanthe is, Ohio ripped it off and called it Panini's. So in the past, I've talked about it as Panini's. There was even a brief moment where we were going to get a Panini's in Rochester when they were first building College Town. But then that those plans went away. But if you still Google like Panini's coming to Rochester, I think there's an old article that it was one of those first restaurants announced. Because remember, we also had the Constantino's Market, which was a Cleveland thing. For whatever reason, there was some connection between the developer of College Town and, uh, and Cleveland, because there was like a couple of Cleveland concepts coming. Constantino's came and went, uh, and then obviously the, um, the, the Panini's never came in. But anyway, it's a place where you get these almost like deli sandwiches, but it, you get a big thick cut of something, and I always get pastrami, but they've got all the different deli sandwiches you can think of. Cheese, coleslaw, French fries, all on the sandwich. All that's on the sandwich. And then these two big, nice pieces of Italian bread make up the sandwich. And I love that sandwich. Uh, But, you know, PNC Park, the one at the actual baseball field, has to pump out such volume on that sandwich that what you end up getting is sort of canned version of it that, that, that just kind of barely resembled its father, you know? You go to the Permanente Brothers in the Strip District, you're getting the real thing. And when we went down there for Brookie, remember Brooksy from the uh, Wheeze show? When I went down to Pittsburgh for Brooksy's bachelor party, we went to the Panini's in the Strip District twice in a 24-hour period. That's the sandwich because that then they let you even jumbo it too. And when you get a jumbo version, oh, now we're talking. Now we are talking. And then I woke up Tuesday morning and left Pittsburgh at like 4.20 a.m., in order to get back to my plant, because my my factory, Craft Cannery, is just a little bit closer than here. It's like 20 minutes in the direction of Pittsburgh, so it was only a four-hour even drive back. Uh, in order to get back to interview somebody at 9 a.m. Um, for a job. That's right. That's right. It was a quick turnaround from the end of that baseball game to the next morning. Very tired, but I'm recovered now. We're all good, right? So that was one cool thing I did this week. The other cool thing I did this week, which actually, as soon as I finish this podcast, I'm going to post some pictures of. So by the time you're listening to this, if you go to my social media, you will see pictures from yesterday. And that is that we attended the wedding of 
uh, Vikram and Abigail, two friends of ours. Ryan has known Abby uh, since high school. I think she's from Fairport. Ryan's from Fairport. They both went to Fredonia together. They were in a sorority together. And I used to go and visit Ryan. Um, Ryan and I started dating while she was still in college, actually. And I used to go date her and uh, go see her in college at Fredonia. And she had this core group of friends who it's so beautiful because they're still friends to this day, these girls. And so last night I had the honor of sitting at the table with like four or five of these girls who have been friends since at least college, some of them even before that. Uh, They're just, I don't know how to put, they're just beautiful people. They're just absolutely gorgeous souls and personalities. And this girl, Abby, who got married yesterday, is is one of the best. I mean, every single one I talk to, I always think is the best, right? But, but you know, but last night, Abby, um, her, her, she comes from this amazing family. Her parents, uh, Dean and Susan, Dean is, has actually become a friend over the years, too. He's just such a gentle guy. She's got a couple kids from a previous marriage. And uh, and their, um, their vows, especially his, Vic, Vikram's vows, vows, were the most beautiful vows I have ever heard in my entire life. You know, he he professed his love to Abby, of course, and then he did vows to the kids, too. And they're young, you know, I think one's four, the other one's maybe six or so, six or seven, if I had to guess. And it was just beautiful. Like, there was not a dry eye in the room, including my own. It was just unlike anything I'd ever seen. So the actual ceremony was earlier in the day, and it was at a uh, a temple in Penfield that I don't remember the name of right now. But it was an Indian temple, um, and it was a traditional Sikh wedding, which meant you get there, you take your shoes off, and you cover your head. So they had some scarves that we were able to take and cover our heads with. And uh, and then we had a breakfast, uh, which was Indian food, which was delicious. Um, and then we had the ceremony. Oh, I'm sorry. Before that, the groom's parade, which I'll post this on Facebook too, on social media. The groom enters the wedding on horseback. Uh, and it was just, it was so cool. And everyone just kind of dances around him. And I love culture so much. Just so much do I love experiencing that and seeing these people. It, you know, this is how they do weddings. And, and the idea that he comes in on a horseback and everyone gathers around him and gathers on the horse and just plays music and starts dancing. And you think, well, what's going on? Like, what's the, the structure here? There's not really a structure as much as it's just a moment to celebrate. It's just everyone sort of allowing the happiness and celebration to come out of their bodies as they dance around him before he makes his entrance into the, uh, into the uh, ceremony. <laughs> then the ceremony itself is in a room um, uh, carpeted, uh, shoes off again, head covered, sit on the ground. Mm-hmm. Not great. I'm a big guy. Tough. I made it. It was probably about an hour on the ground. They did have chairs. And, of course, one of the guys from the temple approached me and said, if you need a chair, sir, you can sit in a chair because I, I think I look like someone who needs a chair. But I didn't want to take a chair just because you who was sitting in the chair was older people, bigger people, and I know I'm a bigger guy, but I was like, you know what? I can still sit on the ground, right? Like I play with my child on the ground. I'm good. Uh, and I was good. But towards the end of the hour, it was, it wasn't, I wasn't as good as I was at the beginning of the hour anymore. <laughs> I was ready to get up. Um, Beautiful ceremony. Oh, you know, only criticism. Maybe couldn't understand a word of it, 
It was all in another language, so I wish I knew more of what was actually being said, but still just a beautiful ceremony to witness and be a part of and and um, and and see that all go down. And then the reception, scratching another Rochester thing off my bucket list, was down in High Falls at La Luna. I had never been. Told a bunch of people I'd never been, and most people were shocked. How have you never been here? I'd never been there. Beautiful spot. I mean, really, just you can't ask for more. It's just a gorgeous overlook of the High Falls and uh, Genesee Brewery off in the distance. You had the Red Wings on the other side. They did fireworks, which worked out just great. And then La Luna itself, of course, just this uh, uh, fantastic little, I guess it's a restaurant a couple of days a week, but mostly just functions as, as an event space now. Yeah, but really a, a really, really nice wedding. And then I get home from the wedding last night, and I go on uh, Twitter, and I see that there is a journalistic battle taking place <laughs> between um, uh, Will Cleveland, former journalist in Rochester, and this kid Chase. Let me look it up. I'm just I'm trying to look this up live as we talk. Chase, this kid, this reporter for 13 Wham. Oh, please tell me I can find it. And they are battling over, I think I can summarize it anyway. Yeah, I don't think I need to actually find it. Sorry. Okay, so it's this this reporter named Chase from 13 Wham, who I had not heard of uh, previously. And Will Cleveland, of course, former journalist for Gannett. Uh, I think he left a couple of years ago and went full-time into, uh, he works for the Police Accountability Board in Rochester. And uh, Chase has reported on that a murder suspect has been caught, and he's posted a mugshot of somebody who is, I believe, a teenager, right, underage. And Will questions him and says, why post the mugshot here? Isn't he presumed innocent? Why a mugshot? I thought we were getting better about this. And, and you know, I haven't paid a ton of attention. I did work in media for years, but I was never anywhere near what we would call a journalist. And I do remember there being quite a big push for removal of mugshots because of that, because of the presumption of innocence, right? Because right now, I could make any accusation in the world that I want to, any accusation and about you, and you might be arrested for it. And when you get arrested, you're going to be booked, and therefore you're going to get a mugshot. And then it's going to turn out months later that you are completely innocent. You did not do even a... And not not even uh, 1% of the things that I accused you of. Well, guess what's going to happen for the rest of your life if I Google you? Your freaking mugshot's going to pop up next to the headline that you were arrested for this accusation, right? And so I've always really enjoyed that and thought that that was a really good point. Um, It's, you know, politically it's a somewhat liberal point, but I get it and I like it. And I like to believe myself to be somewhere in the middle politically. And in this case, very liberal take for me on this. I think that absolutely you do deserve your presumption of innocence until proven guilty. It does not happen that often in this country. It just doesn't. I mean, look at this other case, this Long Island killer, the, the Grigo Beach, is that what it is? Uh, killer. This guy has been caught... He, there's a mugshot of him. Everybody knows who he is. They know his name. He's innocent until pre- he's presumed innocent. He's pled not guilty already. But we talk about it like it's a foregone conclusion that he's the guy. And he might be, and it might turn out, and there's plenty of times where it is the right person that they've arrested. And they are going to be guilty. And it's not a problem. But there's been a few times, for sure, where people have been arrested, their name's been dragged through the mud, mugshots have gotten out, and they are for sure later found innocent, and there is not 
in equal effort to show their innocence. And I always thought the media should have to almost, if there's ever a situation like this, and I don't know who would ever police this or take or take the actual action to make sure it's happening, but if the news ever falsely reports something, there should be something called equal time allotted. And what that is is, uh, back in the day when I was in radio and we would do political races, occasionally if two people were running against each other for political office, by the way, I forgot to mention, Vic from yesterday's wedding is the guy who just won Brighton Town Justice. And he was like an underdog in that race too. So like he's great, just great guy. Couldn't say enough about him. Anyway, if there's like a political race and you want to interview one side of that political race, we were actually legally required to give the other side equal time. Now, we didn't have to proactively go after them and tell them that their equal time was waiting for them, but if they requested it, we had to give it to them. And I remember that like it was yesterday, and I think it's a pretty good rule and law, and I think the media should be held accountable too. If I'm falsely accused of something today, and the news does a two-minute story about it as their first story tonight on the 6 o'clock news on a Sunday night. And the reporter tweets about it and puts my mugshot in it and writes a story about it. If I am later found to be innocent, the news should have the obligation of running the exact same amount of time and effort and resources on my innocence. Should be a two-minute story at the front of the 6 o'clock news on a Sunday night. The same reporter, if applicable, or a reporter of equal or greater value should have to tweet out or put on social media a story about my innocence. And that story should be exactly as long and include exactly as much work, meaning if there were quotes from other parties, if, if there was you know, photography done, as the original story that, that presumed my guilt. I've always thought that. I think, of course, I think that's great. So, Will here, and if you want to go look it up, this all happened on Twitter. It's Will versus Chase. I think Will is calling this journalist out for a really good reason. And I'll tell you the truth I like to have sympathy for journalists because I understand that a lot of time, look, journalists get picked on a lot. But there was something that got said in this chain that had something to do with ego. And I don't remember who blamed who, but somebody blamed the other one for having ego. First of all, we're all human beings. We all have egos, okay? Let's not pretend any of us are, are completely egoless in this world. But there is this strange, like, like ego that sometimes young reporters have. Or, or like, reporters, I guess young wasn't even fair to say. I, I think it can span all different types of report. There's just an ego that sometimes happens. I'll give you a good example of a time where I see an ego and it just pisses me off every single time I see this. And I always tell my wife at some point I'm going to go off about this. And I've mentioned on my podcast a couple of times and I don't know if it just kind of flies under the radar. She doesn't like me talking about this, but my wife is a publicist. She and many other publicists are constantly sending ideas for stories to journalists, you know, constantly sending press releases and things like that. And it's not uncommon, and I, I do mean, I probably see this happen at least once a year since I've known my wife for the last decade that she's been a publicist, where some reporter will just condescend to publicists. You know, they don't like that they get the, uh, the press releases. Oh, why are you bothering me with these press releases? Oh, why are you begging me to do these stories? You know, blah, 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 blah. Basically just completely talking down to the fact that these publicists even exist and that they're so annoyed. These journalists are so annoyed 
that these publicists even exist. And it always pisses me off because you should be so lucky that you're even on the publicist's radar that you're getting their press releases, for one. And for two, the publicist making three times the amount of money you're making. What are you doing with your $28,000 salary going on Twitter and being like, look at these publicists sending me all of these press releases that I just don't care about. Meh. Every time I see that, I get upset because I know how hard she works and how hard she works. Now, I will say this. Are the publicists without any blame? No. There has to be some curating done by the publicists to make sure that the right content is being delivered to the right people. Do you know what I'm saying? So let's say my wife has a really good scoop or a really good idea for a story or a client doing food or drink in Rochester. She needs to know that that story goes to Tracy Schumacher, not to Berkeley Breen, right? That is incumbent upon her to know that. She needs to know that she's sending her content to the right reporters. So, And I'm sure that there have been plenty of publicists who just blanket send these press releases to every single journalist they have in their uh, address book. And so I get that. There is some pushback deserved on that. But I will say, you guys got to work together. And I always get a little upset when I see someone publicly making fun of the publicist. Anyway, I'm getting way off topic here. I'm talking about Will and Chase here. So they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And at the end of the story, Will Cleveland, in my opinion, sort of clearly wins this argument. Because the 13 Wham kid gets personal with Will. And, you know, basically says, hey, if you're so good at it, why don't you come back and do it and leave your job at the failing police accountability board? To which, to my knowledge, and I haven't checked in a while, so I could be wrong, I don't think Will ever responded to that because Will probably, when that happened, went out and just did a slam dunk in the basketball hoop in his driveway because he realized that this freaking kid, this chase from 13 Wham, at that point, essentially threw in the towel and said, I give up. (laughs) Because, because maybe you shouldn't post a mugshot of a 17-year-old kid who's accused of murder. Report the story, sure, of course. But remember, we are innocent until proven guilty. And just hope to God, hope to God that that is never something you have to worry about. Just hope to God that you're never accused of something and you are begging for your presumption of innocence that you are granted by law in this country. It's one of your rights that you are presumed innocent until proven guilty. Okay, I think that's it for the podcast. Let's go to Meg's. Let's go eat some breakfast. Taking Leo to Seabreeze later, too. It's going to be a really fun family day. I love you. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day.